Welcome to Learn Me Right in Health Law and Bioethics, aka the H-Lab. I'm Sinead. And I'm Ruthie. And this podcast is aimed for literally anybody interested in topical health law issues, where we talk to experts who present evidence-based research. Nothing in this podcast should be taken as legal or medical advice. Any research or resources that are referred to within the podcast will be uploaded to our show notes after each episode. These podcasts are supported by the Australian Centre for Health Law Research, where both Ruthie and myself are PhD students. And with that in mind, (laughs) today we have Denise Frost, and she is here to talk to us about source reliability. Denise, are you able to provide a bit of an overview about your position at QUT and the work that you do? Oh, sure. So I'm what's called a liaison librarian. And so liaison librarians have relationships with um, faculties. So my relationship is with the Faculty of uh, Creative Industries, Education and Social Justice. I have to remember to get it all in. Um, With a particular emphasis on education. And so we do three things mainly. We give learning support to students in all kinds of ways, helping them with their scholarly research and with their referencing. We support QUT researchers in a whole lot of different and very complicated ways. And we develop the collection that people use. So it's the three things mainly we do. Fantastic. We have a few rapid fire questions for you, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. The first one is, what are your pronouns? Oh, I'm a she and a her. What is your highlight of the last year? Of the last year? Oh, I went to the dinosaur lab in Winton and I drilled dinosaur bones. Amazing. That sounds like an incredible time. It was a a highlight. Very hard on the hands and the back, but it was really interesting. Wow, I didn't even know that was the thing. Yeah, you had to pay. Um, now, Denise, if you were going to sing a song at karaoke, which one would you choose? Okay, so I've thought about this and I have actually sung this song. It's called Shadow of the Black Crow. Melissa Etheridge sings it. Okay. I'll have to have a listen later. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. Lots of bass guitar. Fantastic. Cool. Thank you for answering those questions. So today's podcast is uh, stemming from the very first podcast that we had with Sam Roach. Um, where we finished on one of the top tips for listeners was to uh, use source reliability and to assess the evidence when someone presents an argument to them. Now, uh, we got some feedback saying that this was a really interesting part and that maybe it would be a good idea to go into this further. So basically the idea of this is that, uh, you know, you go through, you scroll through Facebook, and I've done this, you know, a thousand times, and a video pops up. And more often than not, if it's, um, you know, I'll have a watch or whatever, but I very pretty, very quickly will just be like, yep, oh, I trust that. Or sometimes I'll just skip through this being like, oh, this is just, you know, this, this makes no sense. So I don't trust this at all. And um, <laughs> I have no idea what that's based on. Is that, you know, intuition? Is that my um, history education? Is this by legal education? Um, and I realized, you know, in preparing for this podcast, that my understanding of source reliability in academia doesn't always translate across into my social life. And despite the fact that, you know, I can whip together a really good essay on, you know, different sources from peer-reviewed journal articles and reliable sources for a you know, legal essay, sometimes if someone presents evidence to me um, and they say, no, it's evidence, it's research, I, I researched it, I don't really know what to say because I'm like, no, I've done my research and, you know, 
that doesn't make sense if your research is true. So I know your research is wrong, but then it, if you're calling it research, then, you know, we're kind of at an impasse. Hmm. So the point of this is to basically just let's get some tips and tricks on how to feel comfortable and safe in a discussion based on research, knowing that your research is reliable and knowing when someone else's is unreliable. I, uh, I know from ex experience it's very difficult to change someone's mind on something that they are very adamant about. And that has happened to me. I only ever change my mind on big issues when I do lots and lots of thinking and research. And it's not because someone else told me to. It's because I've come to that decision on my own. So that's why Denise is here. <laughs> She's got some amazing tips and tricks from her, from her work as a librarian, liaison officer. And our... Uh, Basically, we just need some help. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so just, just a couple of general remarks as a preamble. The first thing is that your greatest weapon is your own natural scepticism. So I always think, remember when you were a kid and you were watching television and either your mum or dad came in the room and said, have you done your homework? And you said, yeah, yeah. And they leaned in the doorway and if they were able to, they raised one eyebrow, maybe they crossed their arms, and they said, really? Okay, that is the mindset, that sceptical mindset. So if you want to think about that one raised eyebrow, it's really? So you never take anything at face value. And if you have a gut feeling, Sinead, even more so, if you think there's something very strange about this, so that's number one. The second is you are absolutely correct. People believe what they believe and all the logic and all the arguments in the world aren't going to change their mind if what they believe is a matter of faith. So that's an important thing. Sometimes you just have to back away with your hands in the air. The other thing is that human beings are pattern-making machines. We're driven to find meaning and, you know, that's in ancient times. That's why they had omens, you know, three crows fly past and something terrible is going to happen. So people put things together, these disparate pieces of information, they put two and two together and they make ten. So you have to remember that as well. And the last thing to say, and your previous guest made this point, and I thought it was an excellent one, he said that, the onus of proof is on the person making the assertion. So they might say, Elvis is living on the moon, and you say, I'm sure he's not, and they say, prove it. Well, no, it's for them to prove that, in fact, Elvis is shacked up on the moon. So those are really important things to remember. And then beyond that, you've got a whole lot of tools that are at your disposal, and we can talk about them when you're ready. Yeah, I'm just going to add to that. And I just realised that, you know, in, in the legal profession, when you go to court, the onus is on the prosecution mm -hmm. or the person complaining, mm -hmm. the complainant, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And what's the other one? On the balance of oh, the probability. I hope none of my law professors just listen to that. <laughs> you know, it's on, it's the onus on the person making the complaint to prove that's that point. Right. That's so right. I guess I've never really just looked at that in my own life. And if someone has come up to me and be like, no, you prove it. Like, you know, you prove what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> that's not yeah. how it works. That's right. So how do we know if something's trustworthy? Okay. So there are, there are a number of things that you can do. So it depends where you go, all right? So let's suppose that um, 
Right, so let's let's use this example. So you mentioned Facebook, Sinead. Yes. So I have a very good friend, a person whose friendship I really value. I'm very fond of her. And she said, I've done all my research. I'm not going to get vaccinated. So I opened my mouth and then I thought, wait a minute, I really value this friendship. This isn't worth it. She believes what she believes and I believe what I believe. I close my mouth. A little while later, she posted an article to Facebook, just shared something that she'd found about ivermectin. And I thought, ah, all right. And I didn't know a great deal about ivermectin. So the first thing that you want to do is establish your basic facts, your, your context and your background. And the easiest way to do that, and I know it might sound strange if there's anybody academic listening, is to go to Wikipedia. <laughs> so I cannot tell you how much I love and adore Wikipedia. So I actually donate money to Wikipedia, which is a very serious matter in my mind. All right. So that tells you. So you go to Wikipedia. Now, if you go to Wikipedia, you can look up ivermectin and you can find out the facts. And when you look at an article in Wikipedia, there are a whole series of references at the bottom. And each one of those references you can actually go and look at. They're publicly available. Um, so that's really important. So I discovered that ivermectin is um, a medication to treat parasitic roundworms and you give it to horses and cows but you can also give it to people now this article also said that yes it was you know absolute great treatment for covid and that the people who developed it had received a nobel prize how good is this how could it not work so then you go to the next level. So now I know what it is, and I know you do give it to people. Can we interrupt mm -hmm. you there? Mm -hmm. um, and I Ruthie said this earlier um, mm -hmm. before the show, mm -hmm. and it was that we have both been told in law school, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to research essays, to not use Wikipedia. That's right. So how do we how do we resolve this? Okay. So as a university student, yeah, you would not ever, ever, ever cite wikipedia in a piece of assessment work yes. ever but for people who are in the general public and who just want to check facts so they find an organization who are these people are they any good so on the list that i've given to you there are a number of reliable fact checkers and in each case i went and looked up each one on wikipedia i found out how they were funded um, how many people worked for them, what their origin was. Um, if you, for example, are looking for reliable news sites and you go and look at the New York Times, Wikipedia will tell you that it's won 130-something Pulitzer Prizes. So if all you want is basic facts and information about something with which you are not familiar, and I am not familiar with parasitology, then you go and look there. Yeah. But you would never cite Wikipedia. What you might do is if you were doing a topic where you knew nothing about it, you'd just use it to get an overall background and then you would do real scholarly research. Or maybe you would use some of the references at the bottom as a starting point. But that's how you resolve that. Okay. So Wikipedia is a, an incredibly important tool outside of academia. Yes, mm -hmm. I must admit, I have used Wikipedia as just like a, I don't know anything about this particular Absolutely. event or person. Mm -hmm. I generally find mm -hmm. it very useful mm -hmm. for people, events and things. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I must admit that when I go to 
cite what I found, Never. I will go to the bottom and then I will go to those peer reviewed articles. And then once I've been like, okay, so this happened to this person, I want to know more about this. Well, then I can go into my known databases and be like, you know, use keywords. And absolutely. And you've probably picked up lots of excellent terminology that you can use in the databases mm. from Wikipedia. Yeah. So suddenly you've got context and then you move on and your work becomes scholarly and academic. Mm. So that's how you use it. But the level we're talking about is just using it to check your facts yeah and again you know you still raise that skeptical eyebrow mm. but you will get the facts yeah so. well mm. to be fair once I did try and modify a Wikipedia article and I did put some you know some random stuff in there and it pretty much immediately got fixed <laughs> I got an email notifying that my comment had been removed <laughs> well they're, they're actually if, if again if we're talking scholarly research there actually has been a lot of research on Wikipedia about how long it takes to correct errors mm -hmm. and it so it's sort of self-leveling and self-correcting it's very very interesting Wikipedia yeah Denise, you mentioned a couple of news outlets mm. when you were talking mm. about Wikipedia. You mentioned mm. the New York Times. Mm. How do we know what news outlets themselves are reliable? Do you look at Wikipedia to, to yeah. work yeah. that out? So um, I think that you know, publicly available, trustworthy information is a very important part of public democracy. Um, you know, misinformation around a electoral things and you know, it's terrible so you really do need reliable news outlets and I've compiled a short list but the top of my personal tree is the ABC um, because the ABC is a public broadcaster it doesn't work for profit like you know, television news stations are working for profit it does not so things like the ABC or the BBC um, the Guardian, the New York Times, the Associated Press. So, for example, if if you think about the, the Courier Mail, you look up the Courier Mail in Wikipedia, it'll give you all the background, the detail, the ownership, and it will also point out that it's conservative-leaning. Mm -hmm. So if that's what you want, fine, but if that's not what you want, then you know. So if you check out any of the ones that I've listed here, either on Wikipedia or you go and look at them themselves, you'll find that they're trustworthy. So the BBC is another one. Okay, so just to confirm that when I'm on Snapchat and I'm super, super bored and I swipe all the way to the right to those random little news articles about celebs at the end <laughs> and it takes me to some random news website that I've never heard of, Probably not the most reliable source of information. I would say not, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mm. One, one uh, news outlet that we hear about working at university a lot is The Conversation. Mm. Is that a reliable source and oh, what's that based on? yes. Based on academic <laughs> Again, research. Re remember I said I donate money to Wikipedia. I donate money to The Conversation as well. Okay. And um, to people listening, The Conversation has a daily newsletter and I get it. It is just superb. And the reason that it's so good is because it is absolutely evidence-based. So that's the first reason. So if you read an article on the conversation, all of the sources that are listed will actually be peer-reviewed, proper evidence-based research. Mm -hmm. And you can depend on that. And that's because the people who write for the conversation are actually researchers. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, all of them. They're all researchers. And so if somebody writes an article, their name and their affiliation will be there and you can click on it and you can find out not only what university they come from, but whether they're receiving funding from anywhere else. And then if you look at the conversation itself, and this is the case for most websites, there should be something. It's usually called about us or it might be called our mission or, you know, our guidelines or something like that, it'll explain where the funding's coming from. And that's really important in terms of bias. So the conversation is funded by, I can't remember how many, it's probably 20 different Australian universities. Okay, wow. So it is an absolute top-notch search and you'll see it in the lists that I've given you, you'll see it appear again and again. And the point about the articles is that even though the authors are academics, it's written in a way that an intelligent general reader can absolutely understand what's written. So they give away all the academic jargon and the impenetrable sentences and they make it understandable. It's great. So, Denise, you've given us a really good overview of some reliable news outlets Mm -hmm. and a springboard to start our Mm -hmm. research, so Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. Is there a checklist or a process that we could follow that captures all this in a nutshell and that's easy to remember? There there are a whole series of frameworks that you can use and a number of them are, are quite academic. But the one that I like, which is just so intelligent and full of common sense, is called the SIFT process. So that's S-I-F-T. And the first, the S stands for stop. So that's where you raise your sceptical eyebrow and you go, really? And you pause. You don't hit the keyboard and go, no, you're wrong, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So this is where you give it a bit of thought. And you actually need to decide, do I just want to do a five-minute check on Wikipedia and find out if these people are real or if the you know, like I was talking about ivermectin, well, actually, what is it? Um, Did anybody win a Nobel Prize for it? Well, yeah, they did, but it was for parasitic roundworms, (laughs) not for a cure for COVID. So that would take you under five minutes to do that. If you decide you're going to go on and it's important enough for you to go on, so could be vaccination about your health or a topic in the elections and you're going to vote. So you need to go on. So you have to investigate. So you get your context and then what you do is you go off and you find. So you find other sources of information and compare. So if we take the ivermectin example, you might find something from, I don't know, um, Dr Anthony Fauci, who's the White House health advisor, and find out that he had something to say. Or you might find, you know, the Australian Medical Association has something to say, and you balance that against the other thing that you found. And what you need is a better source and a source that you can trust, a higher quality source. So when somebody says they're an expert, they really need to be an expert. So, you know, I could be Dr Denise Frost and I'm making pronouncements about vaccinations, but my doctorate could be in marine biology or mm. geology or, you know, yeah. or even different branch of medicine. Yeah, for example. And I know nothing. Yeah, you could be, um, you could have your PhD in like um, uh, 
reproductive viruses Mm -hmm. so you are an expert in viruses but that doesn't necessarily translate to a respiratory virus or if you're a doctor in cancer research that has nothing to do with covid that's right so it it can be very confusing when you're hearing this doctor had this to say on um this particular vaccine Mm -hmm. you know you actually need to check there is an onus on you to check Check. that yeah so the expertise means a truly deep deep understanding Mm. in the topic not just a little bit somebody who really really knows and when we're talking about trusted sites well obviously you could go off you could find different articles different news things but the easiest way is actually to go to the professional fact checkers so there are um, a number of fact checking sites so the most probably the single best known one is called snopes S-N-O-P-E-S dot com. And if you go there, it's handling the big topic of the day. So if you go there at the moment, it's all about the um, Russia-Ukraine invasion. But you can search it. So I could go there and search for ivermectin and discover all of that information about the Nobel Prize and discover whether or not the Queen has been given ivermectin and where that story originated, which was from um, a typographical sort of factual error. So they do that. So you could make that your shortcut and go to one of them and there's a whole series of them. And um, interestingly enough, RMIT has a very important partnership with the ABC and they do fact checks for the ABC. And a few weeks ago, it was announced that Meta, which we know as Facebook, Mm -hmm. so Meta is actually funding RMIT to do fact checks on election claims for the election that's going to come up in May. Isn't that interesting? Wow. interesting? Yeah, so this is Meta slash Facebook's way of dealing with all of the problems that they've had with misinformation and disinformation. Mm-hmm. So they're going to fact check things and they're going to label pieces of disinformation and then link the reader back to the actual document that does the fact check. So it'd be really interesting okay. to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's one. But, I mean, there are a whole series of them. So that is a shortcut that you could use. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll have to do your own searching. So you're putting keywords into Google and you're making your own assessments. But in the end, you want to find where that claim came from. So are the people who wrote it, are they the same people that are verifying the facts? Do they mm. give references? Is there evidence? Yeah. Mm. That's fascinating because sometimes it is really hard to trace back where it a is. particular conspiracy or a rumour might have started. It is. And yeah, yeah. And then you like search the, the rumour and then the source of that rumour comes up and you're like, ah, that rumour is true. true. <laughs> but that's actually yeah. just, you know, it's still a rumour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's where these fact checkers are good because that's enormously time consuming yeah, and it's really it frustrating. So quite often, if it's if it's a big topic, an important topic, you can go to one of them and it'll be there. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I just wanted to say was just that, you know, when someone comes up to you and the first thing that we should be doing is going stop and, you know, like raising the eyebrow, going mm-hmm. really and even if 
you don't have any evidence to combat their research, um, it is still okay to not take on what they're saying. It is still okay to say, look, I don't know enough about the topic Mm -hmm. and even what you're telling me is not enough to change my mind. It is still totally okay to say, look, I don't know enough about this. I I see what you're saying, but I'm still not going to make my mind up about this and then go and do your own research. I think that's a particularly intelligent and mature way to handle it. It's okay to say, I don't know and I don't have to trust everything that you say. No. So it's totally okay to continue on saying, I still don't know even after you've done research. In fact, that's probably the better thing to do than to make your own judgments if you're not sure. That's right. And, I mean, the other thing to remember is that it's really quite easy to fool people who aren't raising their sceptical eyebrow. So there's um, a story about a thing they did at um, Stanford where there are two organisations that are very similar. So one's called the uh, where is it gone? The one's called the American College of Pediatricians, and it's very strange, but it has a really slick website. The website itself looks really good. And then there's the American Academy of Pediatrics. Now, the American Academy of Pediatrics is you know, a branch of the American Medical Association, 80,000 paediatricians, billion-dollar budget, blah, blah, blah. The American College of Paediatricians is dedicated to um, lobbying against the adoption of children by same-sex couples, right? But their website is very slick, and the words they use are very slick. So they did a test where they gave different groups of people these two websites and asked them to choose the most credible and they only gave them five minutes. When you think about it, most everyday people, they're only going to devote five minutes to Mm. looking at this. Life's too short. So they had a group of professional historians, a group of Stanford University students and a group of professional fact-checkers. So 65% of the students chose the wrong one. 50% of the historians couldn't say, but 100% of the professional fact checkers got it right, and they got it right under five minutes. Wow. So what they did is, and, and when I looked at it, I did probably what the historians would do. I looked at the about us part so I could find out who they were saying they were, and it took me so long to read through the American College of Pediatricians because the writing was very slick, but it was very specious. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to wade my way through it. The fact checkers just went straight to something like Wikipedia and looked them up. And if you look up the two organisations, you get two very different sets of facts. Easy. Wow. So one thing that you did mention in these Mm. wonderful notes we have is about the visual. So judging a book by Mm. its cover. (laughs) Oh, visuals are a real issue, huge issue. Yeah, and it seems pretty evident in that example that you just gave us. Mm. Um, Is there any other way just based on visual that we can tell part reliable sources? Well, there there is. The the problem is that visual media is hugely persuasive because humans are hardwired for visual sources. It just has the most enormous emotional impact. So you really do need to ask some questions. So you might ask questions like, is this actually the original of, of what it is? What is the, what's the purpose of this? What's the agenda? What claims are being made here? 
what's actually going on. And then there are a whole number of ways of manipulating media. So one of the most common is to take particularly a photograph, an old photograph, and it's easy. You just relabel it and say it happened yesterday and put it up there. So um, if you go, for example, to the BBC, they've got a whole page of photos about the Ukraine and Russia conflict where, you know, like, there'll be a video of Russian paratroopers and they're covering the sky. It's hugely persuasive. There's voices shouting in Russian and here they're invading the Ukraine. But it was taken in 2015 in Libya and I'm not even sure it's Russians. So people, it's called recontextualised media mm -hmm. and people just repeat it and change the dates or and the place and say it's for something else. So that's that's pretty hard. Another one is the perspective. So if you take a photograph of a demonstration and you pull the camera right out so you get thousands of people, that has a very different visual appearance to when you've only got three or four people in the frame, which implies that hardly anybody turned up. Mm -hmm. So there are all of those kinds of things. People stage images um, they photoshop images there's an image of um, president Zelensky. i think that's how you say his name from the ukraine and he's holding um, a ukrainian football jersey it's got a big blue schwat sticker on it but in fact that's been photoshopped and the mm. fact checkers proved it had because he had been holding one up you know, that had a number on it because he's a big supporter of the team and when we think about the agenda Part of the Russian claim is that Nazis are running the Ukraine. And, you know, so, I mean, it certainly wasn't very sophisticated, but if all you did was just look at it and didn't think, you would think that that was true. Um, the other thing about images is that there's a lot of technical stuff behind images. The metadata will tell you when, where it was made, um, will tell you stuff about the shutter speed. Now, none of that I understand. Mm. And it's just too hard. So, again, I'll go to fact checkers mm. for stuff about um, visual things. But you can also, have you ever done a reverse image lookup? Where you right-click on Google and you can search where that photo is elsewhere. Yeah, yeah I use it yeah. for um, trying to get a clothes keeper. <laughs> where else is this selling on Amazon? <laughs> oh, that's an excellent idea. Let's remember that. Where is a replica of this yeah. chair that I don't want to pay $300 for? Oh, yes. Great idea. I hadn't thought of that. Really good. So there's, there's that. Mm. And there is another one um, which is new to me. Somebody just showed it to me the other day. It's called Tin Eye, T-I-N-E-Y-E. Dot com and it does the same as Google but at a much greater depth and with a lot more sort of technical expertise. Maybe you should try that one. Yeah, right. maybe I will. It. Yeah, so you can always do that and if then if you can, you might be able to find the original image, but you might not. Mm -hmm. So Im images are particularly persuasive but mm -hmm. particularly difficult. Mm. I think the one main thing I've taken away from today is that fact-checkers are our friend. Yes. They certainly are. They certainly <laughs> are. have an ally in trying to distinguish reliable from unreliable mm. sources. Mm. And that's a resource, resource yep. that I should mm. probably do. tap into some more. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. They're, they're terrific because mm. they employ professionals who spend hours doing this. Have you got hours? No. No, yeah. no mm. you don't. 
Yeah, I think the main thing I've taken away from this is just that very first thing you said when you walked in here was that just breathe and raise an eyebrow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so, especially when it comes to visual media, you know, you're like, I'm seeing this with my own eyes and anything you see must be true. That's right. Um, but, you know, I didn't even realize you could edit audio until I watched an episode of Prison Break where um, someone <laughs> overtaped a gunshot onto a, a tape to frame someone oh yes absolutely and I think we were talking about deep fakes earlier yes mm. yes they're, they're hugely problematic and yeah. I, I really don't quite know what to do about deep fakes but I mean if you see someone saying something which just seems quite extraordinary then you have to think this is really weird I I don't really believe this mm. and then you might go and search for it on a fact checker and see what mm. you can find yeah. Mm. yeah I mean if it comes down to like a, a very small question like does this fruit exist I don't think I'm going to spend much time on trying to you know get my no. sources right no. No. but you know in a time especially with you know the current climate mm. over um, in mm. Ukraine mm. is that you know I always think of history as and especially World War II as full of propaganda and you know you spend mm. hours looking at individual advertisements that even the Australian government has put out and it, and you're like here it's it's propaganda because of this reason and because this government was in at the time and I'm so used to th- thinking that propaganda is a thing of the past oh no but no. it has just instead of it just you know me thinking oh it just applied to war and politics it is applied to everything absolutely you know there's just so much more propaganda especially in like um you know com- uh, commercialization and consumerism even um so i think the the thing that i'm taking away is fact checkers are our friends (laughs) and that's probably where i'm going to be going to from now on but to just like stop breathe and just be like you know i'm not going to believe you right now and and what's the agenda yes what is the purpose Mm -hmm. yes so that's a very sort of fundamental question so what are these people trying to do like um there's a a a site in the states called clean food facts and they've got these really graphic videos showing Mm -hmm. plant that um you know plant-based meat substitutes and they're showing all these horrible chemicals oozing out of them and telling you how bad they are for you and all the rest of it. Mm. But when you go and look these people up, they're actually a lobby group for the fast food industry. Wow. So there's clearly an agenda, of mm. course. And in yeah. the past, they worked for Philip Morris, so mm. forget them. Yeah, yeah like another one is um, the, uh, the conspiracy documentary about um, agriculture and animal husbandry oh, okay. and how um, you, you have to go onto the Netflix documentary to watch this to make sure I'm correct. So no one listening to this, take me at face value, raise <laughs> your eyebrow and go, really? <laughs> um, and it was it basically um, the the documentary author uh, was pointing out that the the pyramid of healthy foods that we should be eating was actually put together by um, a department or a particular organisation that was receiving funding from the egg industry. And they found that out by like, you you do need to look at who is supporting this, who has asked for this research to be put into the atmosphere and who is funding it. That's right. Because I feel like that is just one of the easiest ways to figure it out. Just It's it's usually in like the fine print at the bottom of a document, like who has funded this. Or Wikipedia. Wikipedia. (laughs) Wikipedia is fantastic. All right. I think that is all we have time for today, Denise. It's just been so wonderful to speak with you. And I think we have both learned a lot. (laughs) So much. It's a great Um, pleasure. No problem. Well, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you.